Welcome to the Canicurio podcast powered by Cannabis Media. I'm your host, Amanda Guerrero, joined by my lovely co-host, Ed Keating, who is also our chief data officer here at Cannabis Media. Uh, as you guys have already joined us for our first season, and we're well into our second, and on today's show, we'll actually be joined by uh, Cannabis Media subscribers and environmental activists, Ron Bassick-Smith and James Eichner, co-founders of Sauna Packaging. But as always, we're going to jump in with Ed and check out what he has for us today from the Data Vaults. What's up, Ed? Excellent. Thanks, Amanda. So the big story is Arizona. Last week, they started accepting uh, recreational licenses, and within 72 hours, they awarded them. People started selling. Big news. So the state released uh, 86 licenses to existing license holders uh, the first day. And then the next day, three more licenses, and last night, one more. So they're slowly issuing the licenses. I think from what I've read, it's a pretty straightforward process that you pay your money, you get your license, as long as you're in good standing. I think it's like a $25,000 fee or something like that. And you know they've been setting this process in the works for a while. We actually spoke to the trade association down there last year, and they had a pretty good process set up and it seems like they're, you know, hitting things well ahead of schedule. Uh, some experts thought we wouldn't see stores open until March, but as I said, it happened in about 72 hours. So that's the big story. We also added in a bunch of uh, information from North Carolina hemp, a lot of updates and some new processors on the cannabis side in Colorado, we were able to add in over 4,500 expiration dates for licenses. So for our clients who are using the database to keep track of um, you know, licenses in good standing, this should, uh, this should help that out. And then oddly, there were no new California or Oklahoma records last week. So really, who, who can figure that never happened. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah. So point of saturation has been reached y'all. We predict, yeah. we predicted this on the show. We did. Maybe, maybe we'll see. We'll see. So. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. And a question about Arizona. Do you think that they're, they were able to have such a successful turnaround time, uh, you know, within 72 hours because they were basically moving their med program to yeah. their adult use program? Yeah. Well, at the beginning of the year, we looked at programs to see which ones had gone quickly and which ones had gone slowly. And without surprise, if you've already got a regulatory scheme in place and the players in place, the regulators in place, it's sort of a box checking exercise. I mean, you know, obviously they have to do it right, but I, I think you hit it on the head, Amanda, that it's just a matter of changing some permissions because in all cases, I think it's the same store. You know, it might even be just at sort of the SKU level, like is this yeah. a, a med product or is it uh, an adult use product? So I, I think they, they did a good job. I mean, to pull it off that quickly is really impressive. You know, contrast that with um, New Jersey. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Contrast that with uh, with New Jersey and New York too, with their limiting regulations or squeezing us basically. Right, right. So. so Ron, James, welcome to the show. How are you today? We're good. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah, you for joining. Doing well. That's great. Um, so sauna packaging, you know, uh, we're very familiar, uh, just from, I myself, uh, have actually been like pretty familiar with you guys. Cause I saw you at a, like the, one of the last conferences I went to in 2020, it was at, um, cultivated synergy that, um, you guys like spoke on like a cannabis sustainability, uh, panel. I think it was actually Ron that spoke on that panel. So I'm pretty familiar, but, um, for those of us, uh, for our listeners that are tuning in, um, can you tell us a little bit 
bit about the company. Like what led you to the creation, the concept? So Ron and I met in business school when we were pursuing our MBAs at CU Boulder and, you know, became friends the way people become friends in school. We were both skiers, had similar tastes in music, and we ended up taking a lot of classes together because we were both there specifically to study uh, sustainability on top of, um, you know, uh, the regular business curriculum. And one of the things that we bonded over was being uh, passionate cannabis consumers. And uh, during our second year of business school, Ron uh, approached me. Uh, we were in uh, a sustainable venturing class together. And as part of that class, everyone had to present ideas for a group project to work on for the course of the semester. And Ron asked me if I wanted to work on something that had to do with cannabis packaging, um, something we had talked about before as consumers was that um, along with a lot of the positivity that we saw the legal industry bringing uh, to the world, uh, one of the big negative externalities that we noticed was the amount of packaging waste being created. And that's not to say that there aren't other negative externalities in the industry, there absolutely are, but we saw that a lot was already being done to address things like lighting or irrigation and stuff like that. And so we felt like the cultivation side of the industry was pretty covered and we just saw that not much was being done to address uh, the packaging waste being created. So at the time it was really just that, it was an exploratory project to see if we could find um, some sort of alternate solution to what we were seeing on the market. And then, you know, one thing led to another and here we are uh, four, almost five years later. <laughs> wow, it started off as a MBA uh, idea concept, right? It's now turned into uh, your livelihood. Um, Ron, uh, I noticed just, you know, creeping on your LinkedIn, you know, you're relatively young kind of getting into, into the space here, um, especially as an entrepreneur, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, some of like the, the hurdles or obstacles, um, that you guys have had to overcome, um, moving into, uh, the cannabis sector and taking on sustainability, um, as well as creating packaging for the industry. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I think, you know, James and I have always said, you think one of the advantages to our success so far has been that we didn't approach this business model with any preconceived ideas of, you know, how packaging should work. Um, obviously, the cannabis industry, I think, you know, having, you know, a, an approach that <laughs> you can ebb and flow with the changes that come is super important. So I think we've been uh, fortunate in that sense that we were just, um, we were able to kind of come with a blank slate um, and bring basically what I think is our driving force here is that's just passion to try to solve this problem. Um, and, you know, in this new industry, we've been able to um, work with some great companies that also have that same drive um, and want to do something better with cannabis and with the industry as a whole. And, you know, obviously in our area of focus be that being packaging. Um, but, you know, for the major hurdles for us, it's honestly been just figuring out, you know, how do you get from point A to point B with, you know, product launches, getting, pro you know, getting fundraising, all of this kind of big, big, uh, 
milestones that we've needed to hit in order to get get our product to market. And so, um, you know, I think for us, what we like our number one thing that we've relied upon is you know James and I being a really strong team um, and being able to uh, bring people around us who also uh, can support us and, and make sure that we're um, staying true to our cause and uh, you know at the end of the day executing on the business model. Yeah, it's like they say, teamwork makes the dream work, right? Um, (laughs) Now, looking into, you know, sauna packaging as a whole, you know, you guys promote a circular economy, um, you know, aka for those of you listening, moving away from a linear take, make, dispose model and moving more into a, you know, circular economic model. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, some of your your three guiding principles? Yeah. So the... Uh, the circular economy as defined by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which is a foundation that um, does a lot of work and research on the circular economy and is very big in promoting it in the marketplace. Um, The way they define it is having three overarching guiding principles, one being designing out waste and pollution, two being keeping products and materials in use, and three being regenerating our natural systems. So designing out waste and pollution means uh, looking at every piece of your supply chain, analyzing it, and seeing how you can literally design out waste and pollution from your processes. Um, so that could be you know, anything from material sourcing all the way to the product's end of life cycle. Uh, in terms of keeping products and materials in use, those are the principles of you know, reduce, reuse, uh, recycle and reclaim. So making sure that the life cycle of a material um, continues to be circular, continues to be recovered in the waste system uh, in a way that minimizes the amount of stuff that goes to landfill. So can it be composted? Can it be recycled? How can we reclaim and reuse that material and extend the life cycle of that material? And then number three, regenerating our natural systems um, that is uh, possibly uh, one of the hardest principles to adhere to, um, specifically in packaging. Um, and really what regenerating our natural systems comes down to is, is there a way that we can create products, put them out into the market, recover them in a way that leaves the world and the environment better than it found it? Is is there a way that we can do this that helps heal the environment? And so when we look at some of the materials that we use, uh, you know, hemp is a rapidly renewable and regenerative resource. So from an agricultural perspective, there's a lot of regeneration of our natural systems that happens there. Uh, And then from the perspective of using materials like reclaimed ocean plastics, uh, you know, the simple act of using those reclaimed materials is helping clean our oceans. So that's how we're beginning to dip our toes into that regeneration piece. But uh, that's definitely, I think, one of one of the hardest uh, uh, tenets of the circular economy to stay true to. Yeah. Uh, digging into that a little bit more, since you do use, you know, 100% plant uh, hemp-based plastic and, and, you know, reclaimed ocean plastic, I'm curious from a sourcing standpoint, how do you find, you know, the right hemp 
partners because, you know, they're especially out where you are in Colorado, it's a very licensed kind of uh, business. So, you know, what, what is your process for finding people um, to work with as partners? That's a great question. You know, I think from the very beginning with our hemp-based products, it's been all about our supply chain and actually being able to mm-hmm. uh, manage the the inputs, basically. And so um, hemp being the main input, uh, one of the main inputs for, for our plant-based product, we have to make sure, like you said, that that product's available and where, where can we source it? And so traditionally, um, you know, we are not a materials manufacturer. We're, we're a packaging brand. And so traditionally in the manufacturing space, the manufacturer is going to go out and source the material. And so we would kind of stay out of that supply chain, you know, they're sourcing commodities, commodities that, you know, everyone has access to basically. And so in our case, we basically had to kind of connect the dots, um, you know, find someone who is uh, compounding uh, hemp-based biocomposites, um, then, you know, their, their connection is with the hemp supplier. So then the, the compounder really works with the supplier of the hemp material. Um, and then, you know, the manufacturer just needs to get our pellets to, to them on time, basically, or the supplier needs to get it to our manufacturer on time. And so um, managing that has been, it's been interesting. You know, we've had to go through a, a couple of compounders and, um, yeah. you know, that it basically comes up to them to build relationships with hemp suppliers out there um, and, you know, testing the material for cleanliness, testing the material for effectiveness in the manufacturing process. Um, and so, you know, I think we've seen some major progress in the last two years from where we were um, when we launched in 2018. Um, you know, a lot of our holdup was actually getting the hemp material um, and having enough of it to create packaging and consistently have it. So I feel we've, we've moved out of those out of those days, but we definitely still, you know, as we scale, it's always something we're concerned with, concerned about, um, but we've definitely seen more stability, um, at least with our suppliers and getting the specific type of hemp um, uh, feedstock that we're looking for, um, that being the herd, so the innard of the stock. Um, and that's, you know, another thing that like, you know, just when you're conceptualizing like hemp, you know, a lot of the hemp out there is grown for CBD, that might not be, uh, you know, that's different than the hemp that you would grow for industrial applications, textiles, bio, bio-based materials and stuff like that. So. As you look back at that supply chain, you know, are, are you in the position yet where you're going to you know, certify that whole process so that the companies that you work with can sort of be at the level that you are at in terms of, you know, how you're trying to run your company? Um, so the, like you're asking the companies that purchase our product from us? No, the ones that are supplying your inputs. Like, how do you make sure that they're good actors in this in this chain? Because yeah, you know, yeah. as you know, supply lane supply chains get longer and harder to maintain, as George Carlin once said. And uh, you know, it's uh, it, it can be an issue for 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 companies who you know receive products that come along that supply chain. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's. Uh, I mean, our biggest thing as a business internally is basically our, our relationships with our suppliers and, and manufacturers at this point. And then from a, you know, kind of product quality standpoint, we have internal uh, standards that we set with our manufacturer, uh, testing protocols from the materials. So, you know, basically making sure that the part has the same dimensional characteristics, visual characteristics, um, you know, look like the feel of it, all of those things that, you know, we kind of are expect that our, that our end customer expects from us Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you know batch by batch we kind of have you know 
tests that are done, you know, when there is an issue and something does arise, we kind of, we can go back and say, Hey, what, you know, what were the parts looking like that came out of this batch or, you know, what was going on there and then test that and see if there is an issue. But, um, you know, fortunately we've, we've had pretty consistent parts the last couple of years with, with our manufacturers. So I'm uh, really excited about that. Now uh, you had mentioned that, you know, a lot of hemp is grown for CBD and, and, you know, from what we've seen in the industry, as we track licenses is that a lot of growers came onto the market with dollar signs in their eyes. And sadly they're still sitting on inventory or, or, you know, plants that they grew maybe in 2018, 2019, 2020, sitting in, in barns, you know, does that, uh, help you hinder you have no impact because it was grown for cbd i'm just kind of curious what that what that part of the supply chain has, has meant in that dynamic yeah i mean you know i think there's two ways to look at it one is like ultimately if there were more cbd products in the market there'd be more packaging so like you know from that standpoint we you know more the more that's getting to market good from the side of like you know it does the cbd market uh and the focus on that distract from the progress that could be made in the material space. I think, yeah, that's definitely something that's happened. Um, I think we're starting to see a transition away from that where people are understanding that, um, you know, there's in every industry, when you look outside of the, you know, the hemp cannabis space, you, you see very specific, you know, everyone's doing a very specific part in the supply chain. And so now that development's happening within the hemp space where people are, you know, honing in on where their, you know, efficiencies are, where their expertise lie and where they can actually bring a product to, to market. And so, um, you know, I, I guess to answer your question, I think, you know, early on, it was a distraction away from like, getting people to uh, like processors and stuff of the bio-based material because everyone was processing it for oil versus processing it for uh, materials that we, you know, textiles and bio, biocomposites and stuff. So, yeah, I think that, I think those days are starting to change, but it definitely was a concern of ours in the last couple of years. So one of the things that strikes me about your company and, and, and learning about it is this role that you can be. And I think of, essentially being evangelists, you know, you're really passionate about this. You focused on an industry, you're trying to make it better. You know, what is that process like? And do you ever see taking it to other industries? Because obviously cannabis isn't the only sort of packaging consumptive uh, industry. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, what that role is like for, for both of you. It's a really great question. Uh, first touching on the evangelization part of it. I think what's important to note there you know, specifically what we're evangelizing about um, isn't a specific material, uh, whether it's hemp or reclaimed ocean plastic, it's really about a, an economic model and the way packaging should work uh, in a sustainable long-term system uh, that will help heal the environment. And so there's just so much education that needs to happen around that. So we always just try to lead with education. So whether we're putting together marketing materials or writing a blog post or even writing a press release about a new product, it's always about how can we help change the narrative around sustainability, disposable products, and waste recovery. So we always just try to come at everything from the point of, you know, we, we don't want to put any information out there unless it's useful. Um, and in terms of tackling other industries, 
that's definitely something that's on our radar that we would like to do, but there's really three specific reasons why we are currently focused on cannabis packaging. And when I say cannabis packaging, I'm, I'm including hemp packaging in there as well, just because the product skews between um, you know, hemp and cannabis products are so similar. But really the, the three reasons we're focused on cannabis are one, there's an exceptionally high willingness to pay in the cannabis industry for sustainable packaging materials. If you look at industries like food and beverage, you'll find that those industries are typically willing to pay a 10 to 20% premium for a sustainable packaging material. Whereas in cannabis, we've found that willingness to pay um, to be upwards of two to 300%. And that's just based off of the price of our first products when we launched and the fact that they sold really well. Um, and with that in mind, I, I think there's a few reasons that willingness to pay is so high. I think one is it, it's an industry that skews progressive and wants to do the right thing. Uh, it's also a hyper competitive industry where people are fighting for shelf space. So packaging is a really great way to stand out, especially when you consider that you can't uh, pick up, touch, or smell the products the way you can an avocado at a grocery store. Um, so that's the willingness to pay. Then there's also the fact that cannabis is just a, a rapidly growing industry that has a ton of different packaging needs and pain points. So there's room for a company like ours, a sustainable packaging startup that's trying to do something different. There's, there's room for us to exist. Uh, because there's just such a need, you know, at, at this point in time, there's not enough cannabis packaging companies out there to serve all the needs of the market. So yeah. uh, there's plenty of market share to be had and, and plenty of room for someone like us to carve out a really strong niche. And then the last thing is that because it's a new and emerging industry, we have a really unique opportunity to try and implement um, the ideas of circular packaging from the ground up as opposed to uh, approaching another industry and trying to tackle that same issue from the top down. And, and we do see that happening on a global scale with packaging, but in those other industries, it's these much larger packaging conglomerates that are, uh, for lack of a better term, leading that charge. And there wouldn't necessarily be the opportunity for a company like ours to be the one leading that movement. That's great. And actually, it leads into the last question I wanted to dig into, which is, you know, when you look at leadership and when you look at industries and, you know, specifically leaders, you have people who lead departments, people who lead companies, people who may lead regions. But in this case, it seems that you have the ability to really try and lead the industry. So I'm curious from a competitive standpoint, how that sets you up. Are you really competing or are you also trying to get the whole packaging industry to sort of go down this route because it will help heal the planet. It's not just about Santa, it's about sort of all of us in the whole industry. So I'm just trying to get that sort of meta view from you if that's sort of part of your goal too. Yeah, I'd say the meta view is a, a little bit of both. Um, and I can let Ron elaborate on, on that a little bit, but real quick, we always uh, approach things from, you know, when, when we see other, obviously there's competitors out there, um, but when we see other companies that 
seem to share our values and are trying to accomplish similar things as us, our first thought is always, can we collaborate with these folks? And so we have a network of what we call internally, we call them sister companies, although technically, you know, the, the definition of a sister company is that you have the same overarching corporate um, umbrella or overlord, if you will. So we're not all owned by the same people or the same entity, but we refer to them as sister companies because that kind of, uh, that's the type of, you know, relationship we've created with them. But it, it's companies that, who are creating products that complement ours. So we have partners that we work with um, to source glass jars that go along with our reclaimed ocean plastic lids. Uh, we have uh, companies that we work with to uh, provide our customers with hemp paperboard outer packaging. And so we do have this, this network of like-minded companies that we leverage to be able to provide our, our customers with a wider spread of products. And that's, you know, in a, if we had approached this differently, all of these companies could be competitors of ours, but instead now they're partners of ours. That's awesome. And I lied. I did have one more question, sort of the data nerdy question. So uh, once again, as I was learning about uh, what you did, one of the metrics that, that you put out there is you, know, you like this approach because it pre presents, I'm going to read this, a superior carbon sequestration potential as one metric ton of hemp sequesters one and a half metric tons of carbon. So I'm curious, as you go out to the marketplace and, and, and sell what you sell, does that resonate with people? Because what I've seen and learned in the last five years is how metric intensive, especially the, the cultivators are, where you know they know how much water they're using, how much fertilizer, et cetera. This seems to fit right in with that. So th does that resonate with, with your clients when you talk to them about why it's superior and they get it because it's metric or is it is it new for them? Yeah, you know, this is a, another good question here. Um, I think this kind of goes goes to the the larger question of what we're trying to help folks understand is really like when someone reaches out and asks like you know hey we're looking for a product that's sustainable what does that really mean and i think you know in the industry and in in the world it's it's sometimes easy to quantify you know something as sustainable based upon a metric right we, we can say you know something reduces the amount of carbon but what we really want to move the conversation more towards is what what problems are we trying to solve and looking at the environment as an ecosystem um, and not just this kind of one number um, and while that one number can be really important if we get distracted by that number we kind of lose sight of all the other things that are happening within that process of creating the product and so yes numbers are really important to create create the narrative but also I think we need to, as a company and as, as everyone, kind of reshape our approach to sustainability. And, you know, one of the examples that I, I always use is kind of this, you know, we take a global approach to local issues um, and it doesn't necessarily work in the world of sustainability. And so, you know, on the West Coast, you might be concerned about water. Um, where on the East Coast, it might be a bigger concern about landfill and like where are these actually located because there's, you know, uh, denser populations. And so these two things, you know, greatly, depending on what, what your concerns are as a company, as a consumer, you know, as a human on planet Earth, it's going to change, you know, what 
what decision um, or what you're looking for in your packaging. And so what we try to do is take a, you know, a holistic approach to the conversation and um, where we can provide some data, do so. Um, but also have these conversations with folks about really what is, what are the issues we're trying to solve? And then it goes back to your first question, your, your previous question around, you know, the rest of the industry and competition and stuff. And this is where, you know, technically anyone can have sustainable packaging, right? It's, it's very easy to just say, you know, customer asks, hey, we want it to be X, Y, or Z, and, and everyone's got some solution. And so I think what it really comes down to is our conversations about what, what issues are we trying to solve and how do these uh, solutions actually work towards a better, you know, a better environment. Yeah, I love the um, like underlying themes of camaraderie, education, um, accountability, not just within, uh, you know, yourself as a business, but also too, you know, within uh, the markets that you guys are going into or, um, you know, in considering uh, the, the businesses. Um, now, given like all of the incredible things that you guys are doing, how would a team like yours utilize our platform? So, you know, this is a... Uh... Before, I don't know how many of your answers are kind of, uh, you know, with the, the world of COVID right now, but I guess I'll just dive into where where we were before COVID started. And I think, as you mentioned, you saw us at a trade show and we met yeah. there. Yeah. So that was, you know, for us as a business, like, in, you know, we, we don't, we haven't spent a ton of money on advertising. Um, a lot of it's been boots on the ground. And so that that's what worked for us. And then uh, last year, I think we had some conferences and stuff scheduled, you know, March, April timeframe, and we couldn't go to those. And so, you know, that really trained, changed our strategy as far as how are we going to get in front of people? How are we going to uh, figure out who's out there? Um, because up until that point, we had a we had a, uh, a pathway. And so, um, you know, I think we see cannabis as a way to um, see who's out there, um, understand the different players in each new market, especially when we, as a company, uh, you know, James is the only person in our company who's outside of California. Um, the rest of us, or sorry, outside of Colorado, James is in California. We are all in Colorado. Um, Lucky us. But, yeah. And so, you know, kind of, uh, understanding, you know, who are the players in the, uh, Florida market, New Jersey market, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, it's been, been really helpful there. Another yeah. part of that is, um, for a long time after we launched our sales strategy was literally just managing inbound inquiries. And part of that was due to demand. And part of that was also due to our team size and the fact that we were, you know, when we launched a two product company, just trying to get off the ground. But we're, we're also at a natural transition now where we are, we have been developing more of an outbound strategy. And we've just found cannabis to be the ideal tool and platform for us to execute on an outbound sales strategy because of what Ron was saying, you know, it's, it's such a comprehensive database. So it really allows us to drill down on, um, you know, specific customer types and segments within our different customer types. And we're, we're really excited to, you know, really leverage cannabis for uh, this transition that we're going through as a company from just, you know, a, a small startup, just trying to keep up with sales to, all right, we're a, we're a company that's in a growth stage now. And 
part of being in a growth stage means we're not just we're not just talking to whoever comes to us. We're out there looking actively for who is the best customer for us. Yeah, it's more uh, more focused, more more uh, targeted prospecting. Yeah, I definitely can empathize with where you guys are at. I myself have been a part of a couple startups here, and there's always that honeymoon phase with your sales and marketing process, where the first year, first two years, the inbounds are coming. You get to go to every trade show; everyone knows you, so that's enough to keep your pipeline fed. Um, but I've definitely experienced it where you know you don't have any more trade shows to go go to, how are you going to build your pipeline? How are you going to actually get yourself out there and continue to push the good word of sauna packaging and sustainability within the industry? Um, so I, I can appreciate and, and empathize with that. Um, now for you guys, Ron, James, I'll leave this to both of you. Uh, do you guys have any guidance, suggestions, thoughts, ideas, recommendations for our listeners that are interested in sustainability or want to get in touch with you to incorporate sustainability into their packaging? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the Best ways is honestly to have a conversation. I think we've had, you know, myself, James and uh, Pete and Jill who work on sales, um, hundreds and hundreds of conversations with customers about, you know, really understanding what their needs are, why they're looking for sustainable packaging, um, you know, what, what their budget is um, and, and how can we, you know, it, for a lot of companies, it's not always like, you know, let's do a full switch over right away. Um, it's let's find one product and see, you know, if, if that works and if you're getting the value out of it. Um, and then oftentimes we find that um, once they start using their products, they see the uptake from customers and, and, you know, how they interact with, their push for sustainability. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think having just a conversation, reach out, just be curious, you know, we, we know that sustainable packaging isn't for everyone, but we hope that over time, more and more people, um, you know, see, see a case to adopt it and, and move towards it. Yeah. And the best way to reach us is via email We're we're always available. Just reach out to info at sonapackaging.com. Um, our sales team is incredible and super knowledgeable and, you know, echoing what Ron was saying, we've had, and they've had hundreds of these conversations. So even if you just want to explore the idea of sustainable packaging and how it might work for you, reach out, we'll, we'll help guide you through it. Cause that's, you know, we're, we're not just here to provide a product. We're here to uh, help provide a roadmap and a path forward. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Just reach out to Ron and James, the sales team at Sauna Packaging, if you're interested in having this conversation. Um, I know I've really enjoyed this conversation uh, between the four of us. Thank you so much, Ron, James, for joining. Uh, we really appreciate you guys coming on the show. We appreciate uh, your business, and we uh, look forward to uh, getting some updates here. Uh, Thanks next so much year. for having us. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Of course. 
Um, all right, Ed, let's take one more look ahead. Oh gosh, that rhymes. Uh, what, what license data do we have to, to look forward to? So, from um, the day as involved? I said at the outset, we're going to keep our focus on Arizona pretty tightly. There's a lot of MSO opportunity there with Harvest, Columbia Care, and Cureleaf. And for us, it's unpacking some of the limited liability companies that are there to just make sure that we understand who's related to, uh, to whom, I think. Um, so that'll be a big focus. And also the team's doing a lot of work in California and Colorado, just trying to make those records as uh, accurate and timely as possible, adding a lot more people in uh, Colorado. So we should start seeing that over the uh, over the coming months. So definitely a lot going on from the data team. That's good to know. Uh, Colorado getting some updates there. Um, all right, cool. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining, for tuning in. This is the Canacurio podcast powered by Cannabis Media. Uh, Stay tuned for more updates from the Deed Balls.